Osiris. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. What does that mean? Osiris is a community of great music and culture podcasts. If you like this one, go check out others at osirispod.com and get in the loop. Osiris is partnered with Relics Magazine at relics.com. Welcome in to episode 48 of the Bluest Tape. I'm Harvey Couch, alongside Jeff Kolath. And thanks for joining us as we take our weekly trip through the live catalog of Widespread Panic. Um, this week, we are going to revisit a, uh, a theme that we touched on in, what did you, what was the third episode? Third episode. The third episode of the Bluest Tape. So almost, it came out April 11th, so... Not quite a year ago, and uh, and so this is part two of an instrumental ethos. So um, we're gonna pick some uh, some of our favorite, or just some of uh, Panic's instrumental songs, and we're gonna play some uh, good versions and and pair them with some of the music that that happened around them. So um, yeah, so I'm looking forward. We got some good selections this week, I think. Um, but uh, first, uh, Jeff, do you have a, a good week? It's been it's been all right. How about you? <laughs> Not too bad. Plugging away. Um, but you know, want to remind everybody we are uh, we're a part of this network. It's called the Osiris Network, and it's a growing community of music and culture podcasts, connecting listeners with conversation, commentary, and of course, lots of music. Check out osirispod.com for more great podcasts. And you'll hear more about Osiris at the end of this episode. So definitely check out the website and uh, check out some of the other podcasts I created. I don't know. Do you have a Do you have a podcast app that you use on your phone, or do you just listen? <laughs> do you my, listen to the website on your Windows ninety five machine? Pretty much. Okay. Um, I actually uh, I just use. Okay. Said, mostly listen to podcasts when I'm, when I'm cooking. So um, there's a there's a really good app for for iOS. So if you have an iPhone or an iPad, uh, called Overcast. And anyway, it lets you build like playlists where you can, um, you know, choose. You subscribe to different podcasts, but then you can choose like a you know a subset of them to put into a single playlist, and then you can just go to that playlist and you can have it sorted in different order or whatever. And so I just put all the podcasts from Osiris into a single playlist. And that way, like if I'm just like, not sure what I want to listen to, I just throw it on that, that playlist and it like, you know, picks up a new podcast that, uh, that I hadn't heard before. So it was a cool way to, to expose myself some different stuff. So check it out. Um, all right. So, um, Every week, before we sort of get into the music and stuff, we uh, we talk about um, some type of, uh, I don't know, something that we found this week, whether it was a, a TV show or a movie or a podcast or a album or a book or whatever. And so uh, we take turns talking about whatever, whatever that thing is. So, Jeff, what do you have this week? 
Well, it's something that I've, it's, I wouldn't say it's necessarily new, but it's something that I recommend to folks. If you're on, well, if you're on Twitter, but I think if you can, it's obviously, uh, they have a website too. Um, for, and again, we also say we're not going to talk about politics as we inch closer and closer to talking about politics. Um, Axios, A-X-I-O-S, is the brainchild of the two guys that were originally behind Politico, uh, Mike Allen and Jim Vandehey. And um, it is, if you enjoy reading about politics but don't have the time to read a thousand word articles, um, Axios digests everything down into very small chunks. Um, so you can read about anything that's going on in Washington, in the world, um, in White House, wherever else, in about 250 words. And it's incredibly great, good and concise. And they have great reporters and people that are really in the know. So I go with um, Politico as my go-to for long form, but Axios is a great place to go if you don't have much time and you just want to look at something real quick. I would, uh, they've got some folks that are really well connected, especially in the White House. I would, John, um, John, yeah, Jonathan, Jonathan Swan is probably one of the three or four best connected people in Washington. So the one thing that I would sort of, my word of warning to that, uh, on both sides, you know, depending, you know, regardless of your, uh, where you fall in the political spectrum, but I do feel like there are sometimes that, especially in their like little morning briefs, that it, it feels like it's essentially the talking points from the White House. So I just think that, you know, you just have to, as long as you have that in, uh, in the back of your mind when you're to take that with a grain of salt, I think not, not to, you know, not to on your selection here, Jeff, but just... <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. It's basically, it sort of, it gives me the, okay, this is what's going on. If I want to learn more, I will go find it elsewhere. But yes, they seemingly have good people with good sources is important because seemingly the white house just talks freely to anybody and everybody about what's going on leaks so. like a sieve <laughs> okay um, let's not talk about politics here. <laughs> my pick this week is a tv show that i'm a little late uh coming around to but uh it's called uh, the black mirror are you familiar with this I've heard I'll add it to the list of shows that I've heard of yeah. and that people say are good, but I haven't gone to it because I choose to rewatch depressing stuff like the first couple seasons of Man. So um, it it was on Channel Four in in England. It started in 2011. They did two uh, two seasons, or they call them series, I guess, in England, um, of three episodes each back then and then Netflix purchased it in 2016 I think and then they did two more six episode seasons um, and I think there's one there was one like special um, like standalone in between all that so there are 19 episodes total um, and what's interesting is each one is a standalone so it's sort of like a, it's really quite similar to um, Twilight Zone like that you know it's a series but really and it sort of has you know similar feel sometimes but it's not none of the stories are connected and um and a lot of them have they they have to do with uh it's not really some of it's a little science fiction but sort of examines modern society um sort of looking at potential 
uh, consequences of technology. It's really a lot about technology and like, you know, social media and um, devices. And it, it, they often take, I've only watched a handful of episodes, but they often take place either in like an alternate present where, you know, technology has had some effect or like a near future where, um, you know, some unintended consequences happened and we're in a different position. Um, but it is, it's definitely sort of like mind bending stuff. And, um, I guess the idea of black mirror is that that's what you, uh, when you're holding like your, your phone in front of you with the screen off that, that it's like a black mirror. Um, so anyway, it's, uh, it's really good. I, I mean, I'm, I don't know if that all the episodes are as good as the few that I've watched, but, uh, I'd recommend it. So it's on Netflix and, um, yeah, it's good. So add it to your list, Jeff. Oh, it's on the list. It's on the list. All right. So, um, we're going to get into some instrumentals, you know, instrumentals are a, uh, pretty big, um, part of panic. Um, you know, sort of history, um, instrumentals through the years. And a lot of, a lot of the best known songs were instrumentals before they got words. Um, and we've got one of those tonight. And, uh, some of them are songs that showed up once never to be played for them again. And that's one of the things we're doing tonight. <laughs> and another one is, and sometimes they show up and hang out for a little while and then, uh, and then they never come back. And, and we got one of those tonight too. So, um, we, uh, I think we've got a, a pretty good, interesting mix. Um, the idea through this, uh, you know, through the podcast is that we're going to, you know, eventually get to all of them. Um, I don't know that I counted, but uh, you know, I think there's, if you're, if you're, you know, liberal with your, with your selections, like you could probably get to like, you know, 20 or 30 instrumentals. Um, you know, not really like looking at teases or anything, but, um, you know, self-contained songs, uh, that either, you know, were played once or, you know, several hundred times. So, um, you're a pretty big fan of instrumentals, right? I am. I, I, I am. I think I, there's really not much more to say than, what you just said and what we said in the first episode about them probably, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think they, 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 they serve a great purpose. I think they're, they, God, it sounds terrible. They serve a great purpose. They're really, they're really important. Um, they're utility, they're utility players in the set list. Yeah, no, right. Cause well, I guess, they, uh, can you have an instrumental closer? That would be the only one where I, cause you can have it. It's definitely a great opener. Um, and, and, and also great, like sort of, um, uh, transitional piece right from uh um you know to go from one mood to another but i, I don't i don't know that you really get much uh, uh closers they're, they're good encore uh, they can go in encores pretty well right you know sort of like a what about an encore closer like breathing slow has been an encore closer a couple times okay touche that's not bad and, uh, i guess so in july 97 uh, in Summerfest, and then 10 4 98 also in milwaukee Okay. Driving, driving, so touche. Well, well, well done. Um, do you have a favorite? <laughs> did I ask you this? I, I can't remember if what our conversation. I guess maybe I should have listened to episode three before we did this. <laughs> but um, do you have a favorite? Uh, a favorite instrumental? 
it's the one we've played probably what three or four times now. We're gonna play it again tonight, and that that that's uh, that's Galleon. I think is probably my favorite Panic instrumental. So. Um, so we're also so yeah. we're also playing my favorite Panic instrumental, and, and which also may be. I mean, I don't know that it's my favorite Panic song, but it's like it's in the conversation, and that's disco. You tipped like, your hand last. You tipped your hand in a prior episode um, back when we did the Fall '97. You did a you waxed poetic about disco. Well, I'll I'll, I'll never stop waxing poetic because it's <laughs> it's literally like it is the song that I would. And so I guess this would just depends on how I would define my favorite Panic song because we talked a little bit. Um, I don't know, a few weeks ago about like our one seeds like right you know what are the what are the top four greatest panic songs and um and you know but that's maybe more like you know epic right or like you know jam vehicles or whatever and so it's definitely not that but if you're if if you're defining my favorite song as a song that i am willing to hear at any show at any time no matter what and never get tired of it, then it's probably disco. <laughs> wow. It's okay. just, I mean, it's just, it always like gets me going. It's like, it's, you know, probably my favorite opener. And it's just, you know, it's just a welcome, you know, it's perfectly contained. It's got some great, like, sort of solo stuff. It's, you know, uh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to call an audible here and then I'm going to say that we adjust our set list and let's okay. go into the song that you've just talked about for, for 90 seconds. Okay. Uh, Let's let's open it up with a selection from a tour that we have gone to a lot, and a song that we we will have gone to a couple times and will like re- return. So let's head to the Tennessee Theater in Knoxville, Tennessee, October twenty second, nineteen ninety six, with Disco.
Song All right, two selections for you there. October 22nd, 1996, the Tennessee Theater in Knoxville, Tennessee, the second of two nights as part of the fall 1996 tour, um, middle of the first set disco in Greta, followed up by um, a show from Spring Tour 1999, April 17th, 1999, uh, the Von Braun Arena in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, again, first set. Uh, Eliza's apartment into Holden Oversoul into Can't Get High. And I'm excited that we played a selection from this show. I don't know if we've done anything from 41799. Um, this is one of the, my favorite shows that I, I, I was able to attend. Um, it's a great show all the way through and fun night all around. The sound system was dialed in. The band was hot. They had played in Starkville the night before. And that show was, that show was okay. I um, wouldn't say it was 
one of the ones that lasts in my memory, but you know, it's the only time I've been to Starkville, Mississippi, so I guess that's something. Um, but this Huntsville show is really great. There's a lot of great moments. The opener is hot. Um, but yeah, just this sort of this middle, this middle section of the first set is really good too. A great Holden. Um, I remember we were down on the floor for the first set, and then we went upstairs and we sat kind of up, and we could see down. I mean, obviously see down onto the floor. And there was at one point during the show, during the second set, I think it was probably during Tie Your Shoes, maybe, where like it just was these. Everybody kind of looked like tops. They were just sort of spinning around on the floor. There was just so much happening down there uh, between the lights and, and everything else. So it's a fun night, fun show. You're, you were having a, you were obviously having a good time down in uh, Huntsville, huh? It was a <laughs> spinning tops. It was a good right? show. <laughs> yeah, spinning tops. It was a good. It was a good night and a good show. And I remember the. Um, it was sort of the. Uh, we drove back and drove back home and I, I just remember it was one of the first times when we were in the car and I had my tape adapter for my Grand Am and we plugged it in and we listened to um, we plugged in my dad my D8 and we listened to the dads on the way home like the mm. night after the show yeah and, sort of, and like I didn't we didn't always do that you know from, from no. taping it just a sort of, Sometimes he did, sometimes he didn't. I know a lot of times, you know, obviously Z-Man and Bennett, you know, Colorado artists and some other folks, when they get done with their, t- like, they go to the show and then they go back to the hotel room and they tr- listen to it, transfer it, and, like, put it up at, like, five in the morning. Like, that was never anything that I ever really did was sort of a, I got to get home and listen to the tapes that I just made. Um, but I remember in the long drive back home, uh, sitting in the car and listening to it, and it was sort of like, man. That was a good show. I mean, again, great set list um, all the way through, and then the return of Down on the Farm as a, as a yeah, second set opener, which will probably show up here on the Blues tape at some point. The um, that was you know the s- second like the second time I guess that they had played Von Braun. The first time being sort of that epic show, uh, April third, nineteen ninety six, and so yeah. you know uh, uh, the band definitely not one to um, to ignore. Um, moments like that, right? You know, I mean, it was like pretty clear that they, because I, I can remember, you know, that show being on the on the tour, you know, being on the tour list and saying, ah, yeah, Bon Braun, it might be a special night. So, um, you know, I think it definitely, definitely, I don't know that it quite stands up to that show in '96, but you know, I think it was, uh, it it stands out in this tour for sure in '99. Yeah, the next year is pretty good too. 2000 then they go back in 2001 um at the end of april again three three spring tours in a row they went to huntsville and it's you know a random middle of the first set do what you like and, and some other stuff so great show great shows in huntsville um and that the knoxville show which we played first um that i just i love i remember the first time i heard this being it sort of blew me away, like the slow piano intro for disco. And the only other time that I've ever heard him do that, and maybe I'm wrong, was uh, Raleigh in uh, September eighth, nineteen ninety five. That show, there's a there's like a kind of an extended piano intro to disco. Uh, then and then this show, those are the only two times that I that I know that they ever did that. Um, and I just love how it's. I mean, I love a standard disco. You know the way it starts with the uh the symbols but um 
I don't know. I just think it's cool how it kind of slowly builds up and then the band like kicks in, uh, just sort of full blast. Yeah, both of these shows are great. Leftover salmon opened and sits in on part of them. Yeah, it's just that's a good two night run. Um, yeah, they um, they I mean they were with them for. I don't know. Well, you know, over a week, over a week, you know, and, uh, and had, and hadn't, um, played, hadn't come out and played at all, uh, until these two, which were, I think probably, I think these were the last two that they, um, that they opened on. So this, uh, the first night, it was a two night run at the Tennessee theater in Knoxville. The first night on October 21st, um, leftover salmon comes out well it's not all of leftover salmon drew emmett and mark van the banjo man um came out and they do a ain't no use in chunk of coal encore and then uh, and then this next night on october 22nd um the whole band comes out for the encore it's a low rider rock blackout blues uh which is pretty awesome but that's uh that may need to make an appearance at some point in the podcast that's pretty good all right, so let's go on to our next two. And from the in, from your preview, uh, we'll, we'll get it kicked off with a, an instrumental that eventually gets some words, and we'll follow it up with a with with an instrumental that showed up, was around for a little while, went away for sixteen years, and just came back this past year. So let's let's head on out. We're returning to the gorge where we were a couple episodes ago, and we'll get started with a part of the Traveling Light Tour. We'll get started with Driving Song and we'll head on into our instrumental selection.
right, you just heard uh, November 3rd, the year 2000, from the Bill Graham Civic Auditorium in San Francisco, California. And that was uh, middle of the first set. Last straw into Iana G into Papa Legba. And then before that, uh, from the Gorge in uh, George, Washington, on June 7th, 1998. Uh, and that was at the end of the first set uh, driving song into an instrumental bears gone fishing into driving song so um, where, where do you want to start here Jeff Iana G is an interesting uh, instrumental for me interesting song for me um, you know it makes its first appearance um, at the classic center run in early 2000 and you know it showed up on that on that demo that was floating around for Don't Tell the Band. They played se- they played seven times in the year 2000, with this being the last one. On a semi-regular, yeah. you know, every every five to 15 shows or so. And then we see it uh, once in the summer of 01 and once in the fall of 01. And then that's it until last yeah. year. And so it comes back in 2017. And of all places, it comes back after 1,052 shows at Red Rocks in the middle of last dance, which is sort of, which is <laughs> random. Um, but it's, it's, the song is interesting to me because of where they put it. Um, for the times when the times they played it in 2000 and 2001, with a couple of exceptions, it's a predominantly a second set song. And when it is, you, again, with a couple of exceptions, even when it is in the first set, it's in like the next to last slot. Mm. It's like eight out of nine or nine out of 10 or something. It's really, it's, it's, it's a strange placement to me. Um, for one for an instrumental period, but especially this one for a, a, a slow it down, change of pace song like this one. I th- like I think this one is. Um, it's also really short, and it's not like there's. It's about three and a half minutes long. Most of the versions I listen to today are kind of all you know about the same. Um, but I don't know. I you know I can't explain why it didn't take off like some of the other ones. I'm not. It's not. Again in the pantheon of panic instrumentals it's not anywhere close to the top 10 probably or top eight but yeah. it's weird that it's weird but it's weird that it, it got discarded yeah. so quickly when it could have filled it could have potentially served like that la role or the Liza's apartment role of just sort of that slow the slow you know mellow instrumental change of pace mid-set song as opposed to where there had been yeah, no, and I, I think it, uh, and it's got, you know, sort of starts slow, but then it has little sort of moments of, you know, flourishes to kind of pick it up a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this one's obviously is all, all Hauser, you know, and, yeah. um, well, that's probably why they didn't play it much, I guess, after the fall of 2000. Right. No, certainly after the fall of 2001, I, I get that. But, but I mean, it seemed like even in, you know, after this show, well, even before this show, this show, it was it had been 24 hour shows i mean that's a pretty significant drought and then you know that means you're sort of out of the regular rotation there and then the next time in uh in the summer of 2001 uh at the uh the wilmington delaware show it had been 64 shows and then the very last time that they play it um which is in charlotte in november of 2001 it was 39 shows so it really you know even though they didn't play it at all in 2002 or after, but it seemed like it was, you know, on the outskirts, um, you know, really after the summer of 2000, you know, three times in the spring of 2000, three times in the summer of 2000, 
but then you know once in the fall of 2000 once in the summer of 01 once in the fall of 01 so really after that summer tour they kind of kind of put it up on the shelf sorry I don't mean to just but you no, you, you kind of wonder if maybe just you know it was something that like Mikey was into and then he was sort of like yeah no I'm not really into that as much anymore <laughs> you know um, so we'll add it to the uh, it was you smoke and burn Pantheon, maybe. and uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, New Blue, right? Yeah, New Blue, yeah. Um, and then our first selection uh, out from the Gorge uh, again, Driving Song, Bears Gone Fishing, Driving Song. Um, those Bears Gone Fishing instrumentals are pretty cool. Um, I think that's a song. If they wouldn't have added words to it, it might that one might have stuck around. I think. I mean, they didn't play it all that much, but I like, I like, I like what they did with it. As you know, before they added words to it showed up until the medicine takes. my my hot take is that i like bears gone fishing significantly better without the words um no offense i'm not even gonna, i'm not going to stephen a smith you on that one okay good because i don't even know like i mean i would say that you know bears gone fishing is probably in like as far as regular rotation songs is probably like in my bottom 10 and and it's almost exclusively because I just don't like, um, I don't know. I've just never really been into like the way JB sings those lyrics. I just, I just don't, they don't really do anything for me. So, um, yeah, so I really like this, the, the, these early instrumental versions is sort of like, um, cause I like the jam to it. It's sort of like a droning, you know, kind of groove. It's not a jam, sort of a groove. Um, and, uh, I really like the the very the very first time was from the the Ranch Bowl right in uh, Omaha yep. in ninety seven seven one ninety seven and then um, and then the second time was uh, in the fall of ninety seven at Club Soda uh, September eighth which is a fantastic show and um, and then this one so uh, all three shows where this shows up as an instrumental um, I think are all all top notch shows. So we'll jump to our last two uh, selections uh, of the week. And the first one is no, no, notable because it is my favorite instrumental, and it's an instrumental we played here a lot on the Bluest Tape, and it's also part of one of the best shows in a panic, panic history from the Halloween run of, of 2000. And we'll follow that up with, you know, I don't two weeks in a row. We're just, you know, we're we're just like... Breaking down walls here at the Bluest Tape. We're breaking so. down walls. We, we, we're debuting um, Panic 2.0. Um, and our good friend George McConnell makes an appearance on the second section.
Okay, widespread panic from the UNO Lakefront Arena in New Orleans, Louisiana, October 29th, uh, 2000. Second set, post drums, jam into Galleon. And then the second selection, welcome to the Blues Tape, George McConnell. Uh, <laughs> April 7th, 2005, from the Chicago Theater in Chicago, Illinois. Um, the only time played for, for last date. And for those of you, if you, if you when you listen to last date, you have probably heard that before. Um, it's a fairly ubiquitous piano um, instrumental um, that was originally recorded by Floyd Kramer, who, if you don't know Floyd Kramer, is Floyd Kramer was one of the big studio musicians in, in, in Nashville in the 50s. He played on Elvis stuff and Brenda Lee and a bunch of stuff that was recorded at RCA. And put this instrumental out. And I remember Floyd Kramer growing up because he was always on the show Nashville Now on TNN, which we watched almost every night in the house. Um, but this song was a huge hit and back in 1960 it was a number two pop song, a number 11 country song. Um, and then several different artists added words to it. They, Skeeter Davis added words to it in 1960. Um, and she of course recorded the song, The End of the World. Um, but the big one is Conway Twitty from 1972 added words to it and had a number one song with it. So the other place you've probably heard it before, if you've ever been, you know, sitting on the couch, half paying attention, half asleep at like one thirty on a Saturday night, and there would be those time life country, classic country, half hour infomercial things. That was like the, the bumper music before they would go into like the video clips and try to and show you all 130 songs. That would be Last Date by Floyd. So it's a pretty ubiquitous piece of music, um, but it's pretty cool that JoJo decided to to bust it out and play it, and some of the band falls in behind, and, and even George McConnell makes an appearance. Yeah, it, so um, sort of interesting to note, uh, at least an Everyday Companion, and you know, I didn't hear him either. It, you know, there's no no JB or Dave, so it's essentially yep. um, JoJo and George and and the drummers and. Uh, I th- it's really good. I think there's some George's got some really good playing in here. You know, it's pretty mm-hmm. quiet. Um, a, a nice groove, I thought. Um, and I, you know, I think other th- the other thing to sort of uh, mention about this era of Panic um, 2.0, uh, which is that they, you know, I feel felt like they started getting more. I don't know the risks are, is the word, but it's like they sort of just kind of started like doing more. Um, I just wouldn't have thought that this would be something that they would have done in, you know, the first incarnation of the band. You know, they just started doing, I don't, I don't know. What, what am I, you know, can you put into words what I'm, what I'm trying to express here? I mean, it just, it's like, you know, they started not playing drums or putting drums in the first set or having like acoustic sections or, acoustic stuff, yeah. you know, playing really long one set shows or just sort of, you know, just doing some stuff outside the norm. And this is definitely something outside the norm playing, you know, some song they never played before as just sort of an instrumental to start a show, you know, with only part of the band. <laughs> and to start a, a three night, a three night run, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, at the Chicago Theater, so I, you know, I don't know. We're sort of the, towards the end of the episode, and so I don't want to go too far into this. But what'll come back up is, I think we 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 as Panic fans need to give George O'Connell more credit. 
than what he gets. And I think we are, and I'm not saying we need to have a wholesale um, rethinking of the McConnell era necessarily, but no, but basically he, he was in the toughest spot that anybody could be. in, And I think he did as best as he could with it because I did this and I'm sure a lot of other people did this was the first time you heard George play a song that, you know, you know, by heart, right? You know, every lick in that song Mm -hmm. and you wait for that. So you wait for the lingering lead to show up and it's not there Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's George playing it. And it was, you know, it took a while to adjust and it will, at the time I'll admit it wasn't my favorite thing. I saw the band a handful of times during that era, but I think he, it's, to me, it's, there's interest, like, I basically want to say, I agree with you. There's interesting things going on during this time. As a, as a guitar player, I think George was given some space and some freedom to explore a little bit and to play a little bit differently. And I think early on, at least, um, or since early on, but sort of that middle period, especially that spring tour of 03, I think the band really responded to it. Like, the band does different stuff. Um, and they and with how they're playing and, and sort of how they how the shows like again like you said the shows come together, um, and I think you know you, you Panic is a guitar band it's a guitar driven band and, and I think they responded to it but somewhere along the way after that hiatus in '04 and they came back in '05 and it just really something was amiss mm-hmm. I don't know what it was mm-hmm. you know I think there was you know obviously there are people in the know that probably can explain more but it after that break it just kind of all came apart and it, it was clear that it wasn't going to work well i mean what was it uh was it ray parkins who said you know uh you, you don't want to be the guy that follows bear bryant you know you want to be the guy that follows the guy yeah um and uh so i think anybody in that position is you know it's pretty much impossible i think honestly you put jimmy herring in that position and it's uh it's a tough it's tough for folks to to swallow right and so you almost need that little bridge area um that's you know that that era to sort of connect the two um and that allows you to to be more open to new sounds and different interpretations of songs so i agree i think uh i think we definitely um you know owe 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 some gratitude to to george for for carrying us through uh, a pretty rough spot and um you know, I think he certainly, from some of the stuff that I've read, you know, I don't think he, I don't think he had any intention of becoming the the full time guitar player for Widespread Panic when he went out on tour with them in the summer of two thousand two, to sort of help out, you know, yeah. um, to come out and play some songs and sort of give Mikey breaks here and there, and then you know finished up the tour and then there, you know, I think he was pretty surprised when they said, you know, come out with us in the fall, um, but. Yeah, that may be uh, maybe t- that may be a conversation for another episode, but um, it is because I have a lot more to say. But yeah, let's just, we'll we'll wrap it up. Here, yeah. So, but th- this um, is this is a gr- this is a great entree. I, I mean, or I guess app. Uh, it, what is it's not entree, right? It's it, it's more of an appetizer, really. But um, <laughs> uh, I bet the uh, sort of intro to uh, to George Panic. Uh, this, is, this is a good selection, but. Um, really, let's let's talk about the the juice of this last segment, and that's uh, that's October twenty ninth, two thousand. Um, out of drums, um, the the bass and, and drums jam is, I mean, it's like seven and a half minutes, and I mean, there's there's a sunshine go away 
today tease and there's like a pretty pretty full-on other one jam um and it's just yeah it's pretty badass and so that even more leads into like the sort of um wtf-ness of the galleon that followed you know um you're this whole run in 2000 you know is just like chock full of just sick bust outs right i mean they uh they open the whole tour the whole three night run with sweet leaf um you get a lawyer's guns and money on the second night they open the third night with sympathy and then they don't really do anything else like as far as halloween type bust outs um you know the rest of the first set or even the start of the second set so coming out of drums you're like you know it's on right you're ready for it and you know and then schools drops all that those teases and it's just like this big nasty bass and drums and you're just expecting like just crazy heat fire and then it's just galleon it's like what <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's one of my favorite i think we've talked about it before yeah no several it's what it's just one of my all-time favorite panic moments i mean I think it was such it was bookended that whole run. Bookended by the Sweet Leaf opener, the Lawyer's Guns and Money dead center in that run at the end of the first set of the second night, and then this. Um, it's just so cool. It's just such a curveball. I mean, they they didn't play it. You know, they uh, they only played it in the second set eight times. The only time post drums, and it's just it's a you 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 could have if anybody would have said I'll bet you a thousand dollars they play Galleon after drums who would not have taken that bet i'll take that bet. any odds on that you know just of course galleon or the field you know Uh and and uh so i think that's one of the things that is just uh pretty great about it but as as we've talked about before it's a true heat check song it shows up in some of the greatest shows that panic has ever done um this being one of them and then they only play it one more time with mikey uh july of 2001 and then like Iana G. Mm-hmm. Iana G doesn't show back up, you know, um, until 2017, January or June well, 25th at Red Rocks. Yeah, same, same show. show that, same show that Galleon shows back mm-hmm. up in. So um, pretty crazy how that how that how some of that stuff works out. Yeah, and um, the other thing that's, like, surprising. You know what that is, Harvey? That's intention. It is, indeed, intention. <laughs> um, what's surprising to me is for, you know, the number of times that uh, – the galleon was played which is uh 42 uh that it it was only an opener like a show opener or even any kind of set opener four times really seemed like i mean it opened that palace show the 5797 show it opened that um that omaha nebraska uh show from from july 197 um it just seems like such a perfect scene setter uh just i'm sort of shocked that they didn't use it more as an opener yeah it's a it's a great song but it's also again it's also one of those things where it's like it's a little it's i'm glad they didn't play it as much as they did because every time mm. out it was it's it's kind of like a it's like a backdoor curveball you know or maybe like a, a two <laughs> like a two finger uh fastball you know kind of cuts in like a greg maddox like uh-huh. or you know, or it kind of cuts in on the you know you're expecting it to be outside, and it comes right back in. You're like, whoa, where did that come from? So, um, yeah, I'm glad I'm glad we got to play this segment. I really really dig it. Good choice. Um, I think you made it actually, but still. That, that's what uh, I was saying. I was just a, con- uh, congratulating myself. 
right. Well, that wraps up uh, our second instrumental show, and appreciate y'all coming back for for another week. Forty eight weeks in a row that we've done the Blue Estate podcast, and we couldn't do it without all of you. Um, hopefully, now that we're part of the Osiris. Osiris Podcast Network. We've got some new listeners, and you like what you hear, and you'll and you'll keep coming back for more. Absolutely. So, um, bluestape dot com, uh, osirispod dot com. Um, follow us on Twitter at bluestape. Um, great to get some feedback there. Also on the uh, on the Facebook, uh, and um, yeah, shoot us an email. Whatever your favorite uh, favored uh, method of of communication and. Uh, happy to hear it so um until next week thanks for listening um jeff do you want to uh tell the people what our uh what our outro music's going to be this week i do i'm going to throw everybody a backdoor curveball here <laughs> on this one and we're going to play a song with words at the end of a uh, show with songs with uh no words um here here's where you do the stephen a smith what <laughs> yeah um we're actually going to play the Conway Twitty version of the Floyd Kramer song, Last State, uh, from 1972, the number one hit, um, Lost Her Love on Our Last State, mostly because it's probably the only time I'll get to play Conway Twitty on this podcast. So here we go. Thank you all so much for listening, and take it out, Con.
This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. What does that mean? Osiris is a community of great music and culture podcasts. If you like this one, go check out others at osirispod.com and get in the loop. Osiris is partnered with Relics Magazine at relics.com.